0: Again, happy Father's Day. Uh, I've got a survey here from a non-Christian group, and they found if the mother and father attend church faithfully, which is weekly, 72% of the children will attend church weekly. If only the dad attends faithfully, 55%. And if only the mother, 15%. Uh, Men, you have so much influence and do not know it. Uh, In a few months, we're planning to do a series of messages entitled Fight for Your Family. And uh, we're going to be talking about how husbands and wives fight for the family, to pass their faith on to their family, to have their family walk in the blessing of God. But today I'm going to finish a series on uh, the secrets of effective spiritual warfare with our last message on the blood of Jesus. Romans three, verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation or a sacrifice by faith in his blood, faith in his blood. So we've been talking about the blood of Jesus. It's by that blood that we were redeemed, that we have access to God, that we have forgiveness, that we have authority, that we have redemption. It's through his blood. Old Testament, the priest went in to the place that the blood was put into the holy place where the ark was. And above the mercy seat, the top of the ark was where God said, my presence will be. That's where I'll meet with you. And he would go in once a year, never without blood, and put that blood on the mercy seat. But Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Jesus took his blood into the temple in heaven and put his blood on that mercy seat. And the Bible tells us that that blood is always in the presence of God. God can see that blood continually. And Hebrews 12 said that blood is speaking. And it's saying mercy, forgiveness, deliverance, provision. That blood is speaking on your behalf. It says, so let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, by the way, with the blood, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. When it's talking about an evil conscience, it's talking about the things that condemn us. It's talking about imperfect behavior. It's saying because the blood is on the mercy seat, all those sins, they're covered, they're gone. And we can come with boldness into the presence of God. You know, when people ignore the blood, one of the things that causes people to do that is we underestimate man's condition, man's fallen condition. We think that man can fix himself. Man can save himself. Basically, all we need is a little bit of counseling, a couple of lessons. You know, maybe, a, uh, maybe we need to see a counselor a few times, but we can take care of this. You know, a Band-Aid is going to take care of it. But when man fell and God looked at man, God said, man is a mess. In fact, he is so bad, we got to kill him. The wages of sin is death. And so God provided a death for us in Christ. We underestimate the holiness of God. We don't see sin as being all that evil. In fact, everybody has their pet sin. You know, the the, the thing that they do and they're like, well, that ain't so bad. But what they do, that's so bad. No, but the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in our culture today, sin is mocked. It's actually glorified. Accepted. I mean, you're mocked, I should say, if you stand for righteousness, right? And, and it's that blood of Jesus that really is liquid love. It's what redeemed us. We weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the vain conversation or lifestyle received from our parents, but with the precious blood of Jesus. Now today, I wanna take you back to the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis. I want you to listen. You have to understand the first 15 to 22 chapters of the book of Genesis to understand the Bible. The whole Bible is about the first 22 chapters of Genesis. That sets the stage, and then everything afterwards is God completing what was spoken about in those first 22 chapters. So in Genesis chapter 2, well, excuse me, God comes to Abraham and makes promises to Abraham. and says, this is what I'm going to do for you. Right, And then a few years go by and God has told Abraham he's going to have a child. But a quarter of a century passes and there's no child. So Abraham's approaching 100 years old. All right, No children, but God said, you know, you're going to have a child and you're going to have descendants and they're going to possess the gates of their enemies. So in Genesis 15, God's talking with Abraham again. All right? And God brought him outside and said, hey, look up towards the heaven. Count the stars if you're able to number them. He said, so shall your descendants be. And it says that Abraham, he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. You're never saved because of your behavior. You're always saved by believing God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So then he said to God, or God said, you know, he said, I, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldees and you're going to inherit this land. And, and Abraham said, how can I know for sure that this is going to happen? How can I know? I'm getting old, getting up there. I'm, nine, I'm 90 years old, 99 years old, no kids. Sarah's 90. God, how can I know that this is going to happen? And God said... Bring me a 3-year-old heifer, a 3-year-old female goat, a 3-year-old ram, turned up, and a young pigeon. And again, when we hear that, we think barbecue. Get out the grill, Abraham. All right? But that's not at all what's happening, all right? This is not about a barbecue, all right? And then the Bible says that Abraham takes those animals and he cuts them in half and he puts them on altars. So this was, the, this was how a covenant was made, right? The animals are split, they're put on altars, and there's just blood everywhere. And then what the people do is they walk through those animals and making figure eights, going around these split animals, and their feet are just covered in blood, and they're making promises to each other, right? Now, most people today don't understand this, but they do enter into one covenant in their life, and that's the covenant of marriage. Now, I don't know if you remember when you got married, but how many know you made some promises? You know, I'm gonna be faithful to you, I'm gonna love you till death do, we-. how many know you make some promises, All right? And that, that is a covenant relationship, Malachi chapter two. It says very, very plainly, marriage, it's a covenant. Now, a difference between a covenant and a contract, in a contract, you cover yourself, you defend yourself, and you demand your rights. But in a covenant relationship, that's a contract. A covenant, you lay down all your rights. Right? You're not demanding any of your rights. You're laying them all down. So, so you walk through here and you make promises to each other about what you're going to do. So Abraham, he splits those animals and he's waiting for God to show up. He knows God's going to show up and they're going to make this covenant together. Right? Now, this would be kind of like the equivalent of you winning all of Bill and Melinda Gates' money. Right? This, is, this, is, this is huge. And he's waiting, and the Bible says he falls asleep. How many of you do not fall asleep when a check for $35 billion is on the way? You just don't. But he falls asleep. And when he falls asleep, the Bible says that a smoking furnace and a flaming torch show up And they walk through the pieces and they're making these figure eights going through these pieces and they're talking to each other and they're making promises. And Abraham sleeps through the same, the whole thing. But now one of those is Abraham's representative because it says on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Now, how many of you know what God said he's going to do? He's swearing by himself, How many of you have heard people swear and they say, God, you know, you swear by God. God couldn't swear by anybody greater, so he swore by himself. In other words, he said, if I don't do this, I'm not God. I'm not who I say I am, right? And one of the things that God promised, by the way, was that God was going to give them the land of the the, uh, Kenites, the Kimzites, the Kadamites, and a bunch of other otherites and Pepsi lights and Coke lights and all of them. He said, I'm gonna give you all that land, right? And uh, yeah, you can look in, in, in the Middle East today and see that that's coming to pass. So the two walk through and they make promises to each other. And it says, now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made, this is Galatians three sixteen. He does not say, And to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. So God the Father and Jesus showed up while Abraham's sleeping, and they walk through those those animals cut in half, and they make promises to each other. And let me just assure you, every promise that's made, was made, is going to come to pass. It says, and to, on that day, God made a covenant with Abraham. One was Abraham's representative. And the Bible tells us here who it was. It was Christ. But the 29th verse says, if you be Christ, how many are, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? So what God promised there to Abraham, there are certain things that just belong to his physical descendants, but there's a whole lot of things that belong to everybody who is in Christ. If you're in Christ, these promises belong to you. Now, the thing about covenant is this. You've gotta be willing to lay down everything. So see, when I got married to Jeannie, I entered a covenant, and the next morning, She could go to the bank, and with one stroke of the pen, get everything I had. Praise the Lord. (laughs) All right? You know that's true. In, in, In the stuff, it was no longer mine. It was ours. Everything that was mine became hers, and everything that was hers became mine. So God wants to make sure Abraham is in on the covenant, that he's all in. So the child was born, gets to be about 20 years old. Genesis chapter 22, God said to Abraham, I want you to take your son. And I want you to go to Mount Moriah. Now, by the way, Mount Moriah is where Jerusalem is. In fact, the Temple Mount is on Mount Moriah. In fact, if you go there today, you'll see, if you see pictures of Jerusalem, you see that big gold dome. And right under that dome is the spot where Abraham brought his son. And he said, God said, I want you to take him there and I want you to sacrifice him. And you know the story. They get there. He puts him on the altar. He raises that knife and a voice comes from heaven and says, stop. Don't do that. Now I know you're willing. The angel of the Lord spoke from heaven the second time to Abraham. I swear, God's sure word, because you have gone through with this and have not refused to give me your son, your dear, dear son, I will bless you. Oh, how I will bless you. And I will make sure that your children flourish and your descendants They will defeat their enemies. And all the nations of earth will find themselves blessed through your descendants because you have obeyed me. Now, Abraham was willing to give his son part of the covenant relationship. So he's leaving that mountain, and this is what he said, Jehovah Jireh. Now, we typically just say the Lord will provide, but every one of you who has a center column, reference Bible, you just look. And this is what he actually said. In this mountain, it will be provided. He was willing to give his son. So God gave his son. He was in covenant relationship with God. Everything he had, he had to be willing to give to God. And what he was willing to give to God, God was willing to give back. And of course, if, if you were to stand there under that dome of the rock and could make the walls disappear, First of all, the wall, the Dome of the Rock, and then the the, the the city wall to the east, if it would just disappear, and probably four stone's throws, five, six, you would be standing in a place called Golgotha, the very spot where God gave his son for you. And he gave his son because Abraham was willing to give his son. And then he said, oh, how I am going to. To bless you, and Israel began to walk in that. He said, "This is to you; it's to your seed, his descendants." All right now, the, the the word that's used all through the Old Testament, you typically find it translated in English as mercy or kindness. It's the Hebrew word hesed, and it, it actually means covenant-keeping kindness or love. The theological book of Old on the Old Testament. The, the, of of uh, Hebrew words says it this way, has said, it's, it's God's has said was not basically mercy, but loyalty to His covenant obligations. Loyalty to God's covenant obligations. Now, now that word, you find it is, is just mercy. You find it is kindness, but it's covenant keeping, love, kindness, and mercy. Found all through the Old Testament. For example, in Psalms 136, it's used in every verse. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his good, for his mercy. His covenant-keeping kindness endures forever. Verse 10, it says, To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn for his covenant-keeping kindness, his hased, his mercy, his covenant love endures forever. Who brought out Israel from among them for his Hassed. His covenant-keeping love and kindness endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two for his covenant-keeping promise, love, mercy, favor, it endures forever. Who made Israel pass through the midst for his covenant-keeping love endures forever. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the sea for his covenant-keeping love endures forever. In fact, in Isaiah, it says, since you're precious in my sight, and have been honored and I've loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I I, I am of Dutch heritage. My father came over on a boat from the Netherlands. Some of you are Polish, some are German, some have an African background or an Asian background. How many of you notice there's no Dutch people in the Bible? There just aren't any. Now, it's not that God doesn't love Dutch people, all right? Listen. But God didn't have a covenant with the Dutch man. He had a covenant with a Jewish man, the father of the Jews. And this whole Bible is about that covenant and how God keeps that covenant. That's what the whole thing is about. It's about keeping that covenant. And in one of the one of the one of the, the examples that, that might help us understand this is David and King Saul's son Jonathan. When David kills Goliath and First Samuel chapter 17, Jonathan is just like, just like drawn to him. And so in the 18th chapter, third verse, it says they make a covenant. They make a covenant, the two of them. And, and you remember how later Jonathan's father Saul was trying to kill David. The Bible says he was his enemy and he sought to kill him every day. But Jonathan continued to be his friend, continued to help him. In fact, provided a way for him to escape, right? And later, David becomes king. Jonathan has died in battle. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness? Has said, covenant, kindness, mercy, favor for Jonathan's sake. You know, that has said it's unearned, it's undeserved, it's unexpected. That These men, they had a covenant, and now David is saying, I'm going to take care of Jonathan's descendants because of that covenant. He says, is there anybody that I can show this covenant kindness and faithfulness to? Now, here's what he didn't say. Is there anybody of King Saul's line or, or Jonathan's line who could serve me and help me? Not is there anybody who's got some skills that I could use. Not is there anybody with military experience who can help me against the Philistines. Not is there anybody who's a really good person who deserves this, but just is there anybody that I can show covenant kindness to for Jonathan's sake because of my relationship with Jonathan? And the king is asking around and and finally he finds out, yeah, Jonathan has a son and he's lame in his feet and the Bible says he's in Lodabar. Now, by the way, Lodabar is a ghetto town near Gilead, right? The definition that I found was this, not having, being in in lack, no pasture, no word, no communication. It's a poverty place. It's a forgotten place. It's a desolate place. A town where you would find the lost, the unskilled, the uneducated, the, the disenfranchised, the outcast of society. And there is Jonathan's son, Mishibosheth, David's best friend's son, who he's in covenant relationship with in Lodabar. And he's lame in his feet. He couldn't work. He's deformed. He's crippled. He's ashamed. He cannot function normally. And the custom of the day was when a new king came in, a new family line, what they would do is they would kill the old family line. That way there was no chance of a revolution. Nobody could try to usurp their place. But instead of doing that, David calls him in and says, I want to show him covenant favor, covenant love, covenant kindness, covenant relationship. And they they bring Meshibosheth, Jonathan's son, to David. And he said he fell on his face and he prostrated himself before him. And then David said, Meshibosheth. And he answered, here's your servant. And he said, don't fear, I will surely show kindness, Hasid, covenant kindness, for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I will restore to you all the land that was Saul, your grandfather's, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. It's a story of mercy, but it's really a story of covenant love, of Hasid. It's a story of someone who did not deserve it, did not expect it, In the natural, he was disqualified. It was unearned, but yet it was given because of covenant relationship. The Bible says, if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That promise includes extravagant favor, his compassion, in spite of our flawed condition, nothing about us can disqualify us from that covenant love. We are called to God's table. Psalms 23, David said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He said, my cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. That's the word said Covenant keeping kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever in the natural. We would be God's enemies, slaves, crippled by our own sins, excluded, disenfranchised, outside, marginalized, living in our own ghetto town produced by our own sinfulness. But we've got a covenant with God. Not because of what we did but because of what Jesus did. The Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God, but it also says knowing that you were redeemed, not with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus with his blood, he redeemed you. He purchased you back. He took us from our fallen condition and we become part of a covenant relationship with God. He redeemed you with his blood. Galatians 3:13 Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us for it's written curse is everyone that hangs on a tree that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Why did he redeem you? He redeemed you from that the blessings of Abraham might come. If you want to know what they look like, look at at Deuteronomy 29, the first 15 verses. But he redeemed you from the curse. And that curse included poverty, shame, rejection, fruitlessness, uselessness, fear, failure, the curse of sickness and disease, to be the tail and not the head, to borrow and not lend, to be worthless, inadequate, and inefficient. But you have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Because if you're Christ, you are Abraham's seed. You're heirs according to the promise. That Old Testament, they had no access into God's presence just once a year. The, uh, the priest could go in to the place where God's presence was and put that blood on the mercy seat and ask for forgiveness. But the Bible tells us today to come boldly to the throne of grace. That's literally the mercy seat where the blood of Jesus is because Jesus' blood did not cover sin. Jesus' blood took sin away. And more than that, it brought us back from our fallen condition and brought us into covenant relationship with God. We have access into his presence all the time through the blood, through the blood of Jesus. What a redemption we have. Hebrews 10 says, but this man after he offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. This is what he said. I took care of everything anybody's ever going to do. Nothing you can ever do going to surprise God. Nothing you could ever do could separate you from God. See, the blood of Jesus on that mercy seat paid for your sin. That blood is speaking in your behalf, in my behalf today. We were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. Now, every time you take communion, hey, get, get your, get your little, little things out here, all right? We're going to take communion together. Because communion is about the blood, and it's about the covenant. That's what it's about. It's about the covenant. Now, if you're watching, uh, you might not have these symbols. Go get yourself a Coke and a Dorito. We're gonna, we've got you covered here, all right? Just find something. Find something. Okay. First Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And really what the body does is the body brings benefits to us. David said, forget not all his benefits, who heals all your iniquities, redeems your life from destruction, crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. The benefits through his broken body. He said to take it, and as often as you do, remember me. Now, he's not saying just just remember all the miracles that he did. He's saying remember that I redeemed you. Remember I shed my blood for you, and you can take the body. And in the same manner, he took the cup after this up, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's the new covenant in my blood. Now, now, look at me for just a moment. Moses went up on Mount Horeb and he received the Ten Commandments. That is referred to, by the way, in the Bible as the old covenant. But the new one is actually the original one he made with Abraham. Because Jesus, when he shed his blood, He sealed that covenant. He fulfilled that covenant. And that covenant came into total power when Jesus took his blood and put his blood on the mercy seat. It is called the new covenant. That Abraham's blessings are yours. That you are redeemed from the curse by Jesus' blood. And he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the blood, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. It's at his death that he shed his blood. Take this symbol that represents the blood of Jesus. Every time that we take communion, we should be thinking about Jesus' blood that he shed, that he put on the mercy seat in heaven, that is in the presence of God, that's speaking right now on your behalf and on my behalf every time, but not just when we take communion. That that blood is in God's presence 24-7, 365. That blood is speaking in your behalf 24-7, 365. And every day we need to be remembering that that blood redeemed us That that blood gives us access. That blood gives us authority. That blood gives us peace with God. It's the things that we receive by the blood. Let me close with Hebrews 8. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry and that he is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if the first covenant, one with Moses, had been faultless, there would have been no place sought for a second. And that he says, a new covenant. He has made the first one obsolete. In other words, you don't, you're not made righteous by what you do. Now that is becoming what is becoming obsolete is old and it's vanishing away. But the blood of Jesus, the Bible says, has obtained an eternal, complete redemption for you and for me. Would you please please bow your heads just a moment? I know there's some of us that are here and you are not right with God. You know you're not right. You're away from the Lord. And in your mind, you're saying, the day's coming. I'm gonna get right with God. Well, today is that day. Today is the day of salvation. And you might say, well, I'm tired. He said, come to me and I'll give you rest. You might think it's impossible for you to change, to turn. But Jesus said that all things are possible. You might think nobody really cares. Jesus is saying to you, I love you and I care. You say I can't go on. He said, I will give you grace that is sufficient. You say you're not able. He said, I will make you able. You say I can't forgive myself. He says, I forgive you. You say I can't manage. He said, I will supply what you need. You say I'm afraid. He said, I will take that spirit of fear. You say I'm not smart enough. He said, I'll give you wisdom. You say, I feel alone. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You say, I can't figure it out. He said, I'll direct your steps. You're worried and you're frustrated. He said, cast all your cares upon me. The important thing is not that you and I agree on everything. The important thing is that you get right with God. I'm going to count to three. And if you're here today and you say, I want to get right with God today. I want to come back. I want you to lift your hand. We're going to pray, and God's going to meet you right here in this place today. As you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying to God is you're saying, God, I know I need a Savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be forgiven and to be saved today. One. You're saying, God, today. I'm going to give all of my heart, all of my life to Jesus. I'm coming back to you to live for you, to be a part of your kingdom, to participate in that abundant life that Jesus has for me Two. Now get ready to lift your hand. You're coming back to God today. As you lift that hand, you're saying today, Jesus is going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin, make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. Pray with me. I'm not right, but I want to get right. I see that hand and that hand and that hand up in the balcony. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Are there others? Include me, Pastor. I'm not right. I want to get right. Thank you. Right down here on my left and another hand over here. All right. Now, everybody, way in the back. Thank you. God bless you. Now, would everybody please take one hand, put it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven, and let's pray with those that just lifted their hands. Make these words your own. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. Today, I give him all of my heart, all of my life. I hold nothing back. And I thank you, you've heard my prayer, that your blood washed me from my sin, that my past is gone, that I'm a part of your family, today and forever, in Jesus' name, amen.